evening? Well, partly we've come because we have questions about life and the faith and God, and we want answers. But we need to, first of all, figure out how do we go about getting answers, and we get help with that from Matthew 4. But I hope that's not the only thing we're here for, because we need more than that. We need help as we start a week where there will be temptations, and we get help with that from Matthew 4. But I hope you're here for more than that also, because we need to see Jesus, so we worship him. And we get that from Matthew 4 also. So we're going to be in Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. But first of all, the Bible begins with mankind formed and blessed and sent into the garden and tested. And the test came through Satan. Did God really say? Are you going to take what God says for your authority and just do it without testing it out yourself? And we, in Adam, failed the test. Oh, maybe he didn't really say. Uh, Maybe it isn't really true. Well, we must try it out for ourselves. We can't just take it on his word. And the result has been sin and curse and death. But the result is also a seed is coming, a promised seed, the seed of the woman, and he's going to crush that snake Satan. And here in Matthew 4, the seed has come, and he's been formed in Mary, and blessed at his baptism, and sent into the wilderness, and now he's being tested by that same Satan. He comes for this new Adam, but he can't get him. Because he can't get this new Adam to budge from this. God really did say, and I am going to take this for my authority and do it. And so this last Adam, and we who are in him, passed the test. And the result is righteousness, blessing, and life. I hope you saw the parallels. I hope you saw the opposites. And that's put Matthew 4 in context, and I hope it makes you worship. When we were in Adam, we shared in him falling under temptation. Now we are in Christ, we share in him standing under temptation. Our lives depend on that he stood. And he stood on the ground of God's word. So I want us to see, what did Jesus think of God's word? What was Jesus' attitude to the scriptures? And we can get more detail than just, well, he used it, or he stood on it. We can get more detail from looking at each temptation in turn. So we're going to do that briefly. And the first temptation tells us, Jesus thought of the scriptures, they are sufficient. After I put in my notes to Malcolm for the notice sheet, I thought I should have made it simpler and said, they are enough. Okay? If you want a simpler word than sufficient, they are enough. Jesus' attitude was the scriptures are enough. We get this from verses 1 to 4. So verse 2 is a funny verse, isn't it? After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I think that last word is an understatement. And so Satan comes with a solution for this man who is feeling so faint and weak with lack of food. And his solution is, you can work miracles. You're not just a man, are you? 
You can do something miraculous about this. Now, there are various answers Jesus could give. There are various theological reasons why it would be wrong for him to do this, to use his power this way. Why doesn't he say them? Why instead does he quote Deuteronomy 8, verse 3? That's what he does in verse 4. He's quoting Deuteronomy. It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, why is he doing that? He's doing it to show he is going to do what a man of faith should do. He's going to depend on God's word being enough for him. It's very significant that he's quoting Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, which was about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and feeling hungry. And for 40 years they were there in this wilderness, but they were told God's word is enough for you. And Jesus is saying, whether you're a nation in the wilderness for 40 years, or you're a man in the wilderness for 40 days, the scriptures are enough. By the way, each of these lessons about the scriptures are really just introduced in Matthew 4. You can see Jesus saying more as you go on into the Gospels. So, for example, on this one, you get to Luke 16, and I expect you know the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And there's that rich man in hell, and he's insisting that his brothers will believe if Lazarus returns from the dead. No, Jesus says... If people won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. In other words, the scriptures are enough. Jesus, what did Jesus believe about the scriptures? That they are enough, they are sufficient. Now, what do we mean when we say the scriptures are enough? I can think of at least two responses to them. One is this, the scriptures are enough, but they don't tell me how to change the oil on my Aston Martin. Uh, any other Aston Martin users out there discover that problem? They don't tell you anywhere how to change the oil on your Aston Martin. Uh, here's another one. The scriptures are enough, but I've looked in a concordance and there is no verse that tells me whether or not I can smoke cannabis. Can you see, I, I might have put that in rather odd terms, but there are two people objecting. The scriptures aren't enough for me. Now, you might be surprised, well you shouldn't be surprised, but you might be, to, to know that the answer that, to those two objections can be found in a document written hundreds of years ago uh, laying out some of the main beliefs of the church. I've got it here. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it starts with, what do we believe about the Bible? And it says this, have a listen. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory... Man's salvation, faith and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture. Did you spot the answer to both objections there? The answer to the Aston Martin owner is the first part of the sentence. What is scripture enough for? Well, it said for God's glory, man's salvation, faith and life. You've got to think, what are the scriptures designed for? And they are enough for that. Now, you might think that is blindingly obvious. We know it isn't about how to change the oil on your Aston Martin. But people misuse the scriptures in all sorts of ways. They try to draw out things that were never intended to be there. All sorts of problems 
because we don't recognise what it is given for and it is enough for God's glory, our salvation, faith and life. The answer to the cannabis smoker is in the second half of the sentence. It says we can get everything we need from Scripture, either it's it's expressly set down or you can get it by good and necessary consequence. What does that mean? You can work out. Some things, you've got a verse and you can see it there. And other things, well, you've got to to do the hard work of thinking about the implications and the principles that follow as you put together what you read in the Bible. Now, this is such an important principle. Where is the verse in the Bible that spells out the Trinity? There isn't one. But you certainly can get the Trinity from the Bible by good and necessary consequence. Putting together what the Bible says, working out the implications. Where is the verse in the Bible saying racism is wrong? There isn't one. But you can certainly get that from the Bible by good and necessary consequence. Working out the implications. That will be a very important principle when we come to our question time. Because many of our questions, you look up in the Bible and you don't see explicitly there. But Jesus says, the Bible is enough. Here's the second thing Jesus says, the scriptures are coherent. Now again, I thought after I put the things in, maybe I should have said they fit together. The scriptures fit together. This is verses 5 to 7. So in verses 5 to 7, Satan thinks he can play Jesus at his own game. And he decides to quote scripture himself, and he quotes Psalm 91. Verse 6, Satan says, it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. It's Psalm 91. Now, Jesus could have shown Satan was ripping it out of context. Jesus could have said, aha, Satan, what about the next verse? Do you know what the next verse says? It says, you will trample the serpent. Jesus could have said, ha ha, you missed that bit out, and I'm going to trample you now, or later at the cross. But instead, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy again. This time, Deuteronomy 6. For us, it's verse 7 here. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Why does he quote that? What does it show us about Jesus' attitude to scripture. It shows us this. Jesus believes the scriptures are coherent. And therefore Psalm 91 cannot contradict Deuteronomy 6. Satan, you must be misusing Psalm 91. It cannot contradict Deuteronomy 6 because it all comes from God and therefore it all fits together. It's coherent. Think of a jigsaw puzzle. On one piece, you can see a strange black shape and you can't figure out what it is. On another piece, you can see a face and you can figure out what that is. But it's not until you put the two together, you realise the face is the fat controller and the black shape was his top hat. And you put a few more together and you realise he's standing in front of Thomas the Tank Engine. And the Bible's a bit like that. There are verses we can have an idea of on their own. There are others we don't have a clue about on their own. But with all of them, it's as we see more and more how they fit together that we understand what they mean. 
Now that is a really important principle today. Because there are many saying, oh, the Bible's a big book, wonderful book, but it's so varied and so big, you can't draw definite conclusions from it. Because there are just so many different things in disagreement. And so books of theology and doctrine that say, this is what the Bible teaches on subject A and subject B and subject C, are regarded with suspicion. But but Jesus says the Bible is coherent. We can draw doctrines from it. It does fit together. Here's a third thing Jesus believes about the scriptures. They are authoritative. I struggled to find a simpler word for this one. Maybe we could say they're not optional. They're not up for discussion. And this is verses 8 to 10. Verses 8 to 10. Now, the last temptation is in verses 8 and 9, to bow down to Satan. Now, I'm not going to go into, however could it be a temptation to Jesus to worship Satan? I'm not going to go into that. Instead, look at Jesus' answer in verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus makes it crystal clear, God has said And that's the end of the matter. It's not up for discussion. It's not an option to be considered. It is authoritative. It has to be taken and acted on. That's clear from the way Jesus says this. Now, I think probably we know that. The scriptures are our authority. They have to be accepted and they have to be obeyed. But I also think we have our ways of getting round it. So I'm going to give you some that I've heard. And I was, I was wondering whether or not to say this, but I will. I've heard them at Hollywell. I think it's worth saying that so you realise they're not just really out there theoretical ones. I've heard things like this. Well, that's true in theory, but in practice you just can't do that. But if the Bible says it, it's for real. It's from the God who made reality. And he tells us to obey it in this world, not just in some theoretical world to come. It can't be dismissed as impractical. I've heard this. Well, okay, yes, that's what it says, but it will cause too much trouble. Well, if the Bible says it, we're to do it and trust God over what trouble it might cause. After all, didn't Jesus say, take up your cross and follow him? I've heard this one. But you can make the Bible say anything you want. Well, no, you can't. You can't make the Bible say the moon's made of blue cheese. Now, you might say, that's a silly thing to say, but the point is, you can't, can you? Because words have meaning. And sometimes the meaning is hard to get, but there are limits to the meaning, and the meaning can be worked at. I've heard this one. I don't need to be too careful what the Bible says on issue A, because you're not following the Bible on issue B. Well, if you're right about issue B, then I'd better change that, hadn't I? Rather than you making it an excuse for disobedience on issue A. That's completely illogical. Now, don't be fooled by how easily those were dismissed. As I say, I've heard them all. And, uh, well, I did say it, so I can't retract it, can I? I heard them all here. They can come to us in subtle ways, and they came to me in more subtle ways than that. I've put them more bluntly. We find our excuse for skirting round the authority of the Bible. 
But through it, God commands and we must obey. So as we come to our question time later this evening, be confident we can get our answers from the Bible. It is sufficient, it is coherent, it is authoritative. Yes, often it is hard work, but it's worth putting in the hard work of fitting together the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. But it isn't just a guide to get our questions answered. It's all about Jesus. And Matthew 4 isn't just about what are the scriptures like. It's all about Jesus defeating the devil and doing it on our behalf. It's here so we worship him for his resistance to Satan, for standing firm where Adam fell. It's here so we rely on him. He won. He crushed the snake. And it's here so we copy him. Take the Bible as your guide for life and for godliness.